you know the name Priscilla Chan, you're going to know where I'm going here. If you don't, stick with me. Priscilla Chan was born in 1985, the oldest of three children. Her family did not have a lot of money. Her parents had gotten out of Vietnam as refugees. But she became the valedictorian of her suburban Massachusetts high school. And she went to Harvard, where she met a classmate that she later married. That guy's name was Mark Zuckerberg. The path that Chan has traveled is obviously incredibly unusual. She and her husband are now among the richest people in the world. But the choices that she makes, her priorities, could shape many of our lives. David Callahan writes about the super rich and the billions that they're giving away in The Givers, Wealth, Power, and Philanthropy in a New Gilded Age. He's also the editor of the website Inside Philanthropy. David, thanks for your time. Great to be here. So uh, when Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg announced they're giving away uh, about 99% of their money, there was actually a fair amount of criticism um, and there was backlash. Explain why you think that happened, because as they said, this is a quote, um, they wanted to advance human potential and promote equality, which I think in general is a goal that, uh, you know, most people can get on board with. That depends what your politics are, right? Not everybody's on board with the Koch brothers' agenda, mm-hmm. which has included, uh, you know, drastically reducing the size of government, cutting taxes, cutting entitlement spending, cutting environmental rules. If you're on the right, you're not on the agenda uh, on the same page as George Soros, who's mm-hmm. given hundreds of millions of dollars to advance LGBT rights or to advance civil liberties, mm-hmm. uh, criminal justice reform, and so uh, one of my concerns is that so often this philanthropy is critiqued uh, through an ideological lens. You know, you, depending upon your politics, you complain about the donors on the other side, mm-hmm. you know, what I call a kind of a la carte alarmism, right? <laughs> and, right. If, uh, if, if you're supporting your cause, it's all fine. Keep yeah, going. You're, yeah, you're, yeah, it's yeah. great. Right? What's, what's not to like? Right, if, right. If, you believe in, if you're worried about climate change, it's great that Mike Bloomberg is trying to shut down coal-fired power plants. You know, if you work for a coal-fired power plant, you're probably not so excited right. that a Manhattan billionaire is giving lots of money right. for that. The point I make in my book is that all of this influence, uh, which is really expanding at a pretty rapid clip uh, by these billionaire donors, uh, exists in some pretty deep tension with the idea of civic equality and that we as citizens should all have an equal say in in how our society runs and what priorities are set. You you think of voters ideally having most influence over where our society goes. I see this philanthropic money often as another form of money in politics. You know, we've all heard about political campaign contributions. We know about the money spent on lobbying. Well, guess what? If you spend a lot of, give a lot of money, tax-deductible gifts, by the way, to think tanks and and advocacy organizations and litigation groups, that's often more effective than giving money to politicians in terms of determining how government operates, what priorities are set, what policies are enacted. And that affects people's lives in a big way. And you said that you'd like to see um, this money spent in sort of a less political, more traditional way. So like supporting the arts or hospitals or underwriting basic scientific research. Um, And I know like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, for example, does a lot with vaccines. Uh, They try to eradicate malaria all over the world. It sounds like that is a way of spending rich people's money uh, that you support. I think that the Gates Foundation has been most impressive and most effective when it comes to saving the lives of of 
uh, children in the in the developing world through their vaccination work. I mean, that's been heroic work. In contrast, I think a lot of their giving for K-12 education has been quite controversial and has produced some pretty spectacular missteps and a lot of public concern, like they're spending over, giving over $200 million to help usher in the Common Core, which has generated a lot of controversy. A lot of people mm. have viewed that as a kind of backdoor effort to federalize sort of education policy. Others see it as sort of uh, putting forth a bunch of ideas that aren't proven. It's had a lot of mixed reviews. They kind of uh, really uh, used their philanthropic muscle to to make that happen in a dramatic way. That's to me. That's way too much power for a private couple to have in, in an area K twelve education, which many of us think of as the most democratic of, of all public spheres. So uh, you talk about uh, the current Gilded Age in your book. Let's go back for a second to the last Gilded Age. How did people respond when, like the Rockefellers and the Carnegies? who, I mean, once upon a time, uh, but even still now, um, had tons of money to give away. And they said, I want this public program. I want this building to be mine. How did people at that time respond to that? Well, it's interesting. There was tremendous alarm when John D. Rockefeller came forth to set up a, a foundation. By that, this was about 1911. By that time, he had already given away millions and millions of dollars. He was also one of the most notorious kind of robber baron figures of mm-hmm. his time. And people didn't like the idea of him having a foundation uh, that used tax-deductible dollars to, to, to express his preferences over, over you know, big ideas and, and try to advance different kinds of solutions. They didn't like it so much that that effort was blocked in the U.S. Congress. It was seen as an anti-democratic plot. Mm. The Rockefeller Foundation was ultimately chartered in New York State. Uh, interestingly, though, you know, flash forward 100 years, and for a while, back in the 1990s, when this big new philanthropy was just starting to emerge, people were pretty cheerful about it. You know, there was a lot of enthusiasm. There wasn't a lot of pushback And I think lately there's been more kind of concern and pushback to this big philanthropy by these billionaire donors as part of a broader concern people have that the wealthy have too much power Mm -hmm. in society. I mean, think about the context here. We live in an age of record inequality. Polls show Americans already believe the wealthy have, have too much power, that the voices of ordinary people aren't being heard. Uh, there's a lot of distrust of elites, as we you know, saw in the last election. Mm-hmm. We live in a populist time. Mm-hmm. And into this situation are coming all these big-time new philanthropists like uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Priscilla Chen w- with even more money than Rockefeller had. Right, <laughs> right, right. right, right. And, and there's more of them. I mean, the big difference right. between now and 100 years ago is there's just many, many more rich people. Mm-hmm. There's many more rich people in America than there was 30 years ago. You know, when the Forbes 400 first came out in 19. 82, it only had 13 billionaires. You know, now there's over 500 billionaires mm, in America, wow. and quite a few of them are interested in philanthropy, and they're starting to ramp up their giving and doing so in a big way. And a lot of them are focusing on public policy as a leverage point to move their agenda. I'm Kara Miller. This is Innovation Hub, and I'm talking with David Callahan, author of The Givers, Wealth, Power, and Philanthropy in a New Gilded Age. Uh, so you talked about the 1990s as being like the beginning of this new kind of philanthropy. Why? What happened in the 1990s that all of a sudden changed things? 
Well, when I first started paying attention to philanthropy back in the mid-1990s, big legacy institutions really dominated the field. Uh, you know, the Rockefeller Foundation, Ford Foundation, Carnegie Corporation, places set up by donors long gone. Things really start to change when Ted Turner steps forward uh, with that billion-dollar gift to the United Nations. And, I remember and, and, that. I remember that. Wasn't it that we were not paying our dues to the United Nations or something? Uh, yeah. It was like, I'm going to fill in here? Uh, yeah, yeah. The, his money, by the way, did not go to the United Nations directly. It went to a foundation that supports the United Nations work. So Ted Turner steps forward that big gift. And along the way, he chastises his fellow billionaires saying, come on, guys, like, get, get a move on it, right? Uh, not long after... Uh, Bill Gates makes his huge gift to really scale up the the Gates Foundation. Other philanthropists, Pierre Omidyar, who started eBay, Jeff Skull, a bunch of these people, uh, Michael Dell, Steve Case, uh, a number of these new tech uh, billionaire types start to create their foundations. And then in recent years, we've seen things just ramp up even more dramatically. A lot of these hedge fund people, the big Wall Street money, that's emerged in the last 20 years through hedge funds. A lot of that is being harnessed to philanthropy. It's not just George Soros anymore mm-hmm. as the hedge fund guy giving away a lot of money. It's a, a bunch of these people. And, I mean, for me, as somebody who writes about this field all, all the time, it's, it's head spinning, right? right? Every time you turn around, right. there's another billionaire right. showing up with <laughs> some huge new initiative to conquer this or that problem. And you're like, wait a minute. We're just – it's hard to keep track of these people at some point. <laughs> so I wonder how philanthropy – um, intersects with government. Like, obviously, the government's got way more money than any single individual person. Um, but do you see big givers actually changing the way that government operates and, like, how government deploys its funds? The big picture here is that government is in decline and philanthropy is rising. And so by decline, I mean that now and through the foreseeable future, government is going to have fewer discretionary resources to try new things, to solve problems, to be an agent of change. More and more of the money that government spends is going to go to mandatory entitlements and uh, you know, things like Social Security, Medicare, pensions at the local level, servicing uh, of huge debts, both federally and, and locally, mm-hmm. and the amount of money left over for things like Uh, medical research, education, environmental protection, space exploration, that pot uh, as a percentage is just going to get smaller and smaller. Already, that non-defense federal discretionary spending is at the lowest level as a percentage of GDP since Eisenhower was in office. Meanwhile, if you look at the states, you know, they're all, many of them are are dealing with some really serious fiscal issues. Connecticut, Illinois, cities are going bankrupt, right? So there's a a kind of growing vacuum in terms of government's ability to be an agent of change. And philanthropy is moving into that vacuum. Often it's being pulled in by some urgent demands to, to sort of make up for the falling, you know, government budgets. I mean, for science research, for example, you see philanthropists who are stepping forward because, they, you know, they, they know about all these cuts that have been made to the National Science Foundation. Uh, often these university donors to public universities step forward when, when that money, you know, uh, to state universities has been falling. Uh, donors right. try to make up the difference there. But of course, with their largesse comes influence. You have talked about the fact that many of these very rich givers are indeed concerned about income inequality. 
How do they think about that in terms of, like, clearly, here they are having amassed so much power. How do they square the situation in which they find themselves with the reality of that, wow, this elite is just incredibly powerful at this moment? <laughs> yeah, well, there is an irony in, in terms of the the winners in our society being concerned about the losers. It's true. Many of them are worried about inequality. But in my experience, they tend to see the issue rather narrowly, and they use their philanthropic gifts to try to expand equality of opportunities so more people can climb up the ladder. Uh, you know, you see that, for example, and they're backing these charter schools, you know, that a lot of these donors want to help these kids from the inner city uh, get the best possible education and go mm, to college. Yep, yep. What they don't do, most of these donors, is they don't question the overall structure of contemporary capitalism, uh, which has placed so much power in the hands of those who own capital and control corporations. Very few of them underwrite any work that kind of critiques the system systemically, Mm -hmm. uh, looks for ways to really empower uh, labor so that it gets its share fair share of the pie mm-hmm. uh, that's being created by our economy. Few of them give money to kind of progressive economic justice work. So in theory, they're concerned about inequality. In practice, it's a pretty narrow take that they have on this problem. So you've met, you know, a bunch of these people who've given their money away. After you talk to somebody like Priscilla Chan, but other people that you've talked to, has it changed your view of the way the very wealthy give away money and the impact that that's going to have really on all of us. Because if it changes the government or it changes education or it changes healthcare or science, it's going to change everything. You know, inter- interestingly, I find I can relate to these big philanthropists <laughs> because many of them are just, they grew up in middle or upper middle class families and, you know, they got wildly lucky mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of their, their profession or who they married. Uh, and now have a tremendous amount of of money, and and with that money, the ability to do something positive. And a lot of them have a sense of real hyper agency. You know, one of the donors I talked to in my book said, when she reads the newspaper in the morning, she feels like she can do something about the, right. the problems that she reads about. Most of us, when they we read the newspaper, <laughs> just sort of you know, gnash our teeth and there's nothing right. we can do. But if, right. if you have a foundation, you can do something. Right. And so, uh, I mean, I can relate to these people. Many of them are trying to do the, the best job they can. They have the best of intentions. But the system overall, I think, is very troubling. I mean, these are all rational actors who are trying to maximize their mm-hmm. their influence. But by doing so, they're acting in a way that can sort of exacerbates civic inequality, which is high already, with so many people already feeling like their voices don't count in this country. And I think, I hope at the very least, these philanthropists will be more mindful of that and try to be more, you know, do a lot more listening, be more responsive, try to ensure that their money is is not necessarily reflecting their preferences, uh, but really is allowing other people to speak and put their voices out there in the public debate, people with with less power uh, or from historically marginalized communities. David Callahan is the editor of the website Inside Philanthropy. He's also the author of The Givers, Wealth, Power, and Philanthropy in a New Gilded Age. David, thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you. 
Another quick tidbit from David Callahan that showcases how things have changed when it comes to giving money away. Rich donors, and also regular Americans, now donate more money to help alleviate poverty overseas than the United States federal government. We've got a link to the Chan Zuckerberg pledge to give away their billions. And I'll give you one guess as to where that link is. It's at facebook.com slash innovation hub radio. 